0: You are listening to Vantage Point Podcast, dedicated to giving godly perspective to everyday living. Let's get into this week's episode. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Vantage Point Podcast. I'm Nick Ruffin, your host. Glad you're with us another week. Hope you've been enjoying the series we've been in. I'm encouraging you to Go back, watch the last three uh, episodes, listen, uh, but when we started this series, the, real goal, the goal was simple. We wanted to get you connected and get you a better understanding of who Jesus is, and last week, we really dug into looking at his miracles, and I have loved the response and just the feedback from that series, and so this week, we're going to continue that look. It's going to be part two of Miracles in Action, but I wanted to... Uh, just touch on it before we jumped into it Last week we uh, covered three uh, specific miracles and, and this week we're going to We said we were going to do four But we're actually going to do two There was just such a shift in, in this planning And in just what God was speaking And so we're going to dive into some Two very specific miracles um, Mainly they are they're so woven together And there's so much there to unpack And I want to take the time to really do that So we're going to jump into that in a minute But like I said last week we talked about miracles and um, the words of Jesus in action—that's what miracles are, right? And those miracles not only reinforce His words, but they show us who He truly is. And and we know every miracle is not recorded in the Bible, uh, but this week uh, I wanted to spend time, and again, in the Book of Mark. And there's two miracles there that that are so intertwined. I mean, they play out like a, a a scene of a play right it's the moment where one of them begins and then that one gets interrupted by the other one and then it's continuation of the first one and so we're going to dig into those right now and and, and there are going to be stories that you've you've read if you if you read the bible if you're into it you're going to know these stories but really i want to start um in mark chapter 5 and we're going to read verses 25 through 34 and it says and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered so uh, suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had all her money and was no better, but actually grew worse. And she had she had heard reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch if I even touch his garment, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him immediately turned to the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing you and you're asking who touched you? And then he looked around to see who had done it. And then the woman, um, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well, go in peace and be healed of your disease. And so the first piece we're going to look at is the miracle over long suffering. And really, the the, the this miracle begins in the middle of, an, of another miracle, which is going to be my second point. But we find Jesus and his disciples. They just returned from the country on the other side of the Sea of Galilee, and they're met. By this large group of people who are waiting for him to return, he's standing by the sea, and and this man falls to his feet, and the man begins pleading with Jesus to come to his house to heal his daughter who was dying, and this man was a religious leader in the in the in the community in the town, and his name was Jairus, and I want you to hold on to that name, um, and prayerfully I'm saying it right, but we're gonna hold on to that name because one thing we know, we, we don't know, he never really talked about his daughter. We don't know like the extent of her illness. We just know that um, he came to Jesus, she was dying. And, and when we see in verse 23 and 24, Jesus decides to follow this man. And, and when we get to the second point, like I said, we're going to go into that a little bit. But as they left the coast, and they head to where his daughter is at, at his house, um, they're interrupted. And it, it's interesting that You know, they left the coast. There's this crowd following him. And in Luke's gospel, they say the crowds almost crushed him, crushed them. Um, And in Mark's gospel, they say the crowd um, followed and pressed around them. And in the midst of everything, this crowd and this chaos and all that came with it, jesus felt something unique take place there was a woman and mark describes her as this he says and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up from behind in the crowd and touched his garment. This woman made her way through this crowd and was able to actually go around the crowd and was able to touch the edge of Jesus's cloak, which is the garment that he was wearing. And what the scripture goes on to say is that immediately um, or at that moment, she was healed. Um, And it's interesting as immediate as she was healed, that's how quickly Jesus stopped. And verse 30 says, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had l- gone from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And, and and it's interesting, like the disciples are wondering, why is he asking this question? Like, you see everyone around you. Of course, you got touched. We, 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 we understand that people are around us. But what they fail to realize is that Jesus wasn't talking about a physical touching. He meant something more. He meant something touched him differently, not just a regular touch, but somebody had tapped into not his physical being, but somebody tapped into his spiritual being. And Jesus felt something powerful leave him and he wanted to know who it was. And this woman, again, in fear, fell to the feet of Jesus, and explained what she did and what happened. And and we talked about this uh, a few weeks back, that the the disciples, people closest to Jesus, it's like they knew him, but they didn't know him, know him. And here's another example, like he's asking a question, but they're, you, you know, they're consumed with what's around them. They're not really understanding what he meant by his question right and again he meant something actually something unique and more powerful not just this crowd touching me but you know I look at it like this like there's this large crowd and they're all around Jesus they're trying to get to him they're you know chaos you know you think about a celebrity or something like that that just entered a room or came to town and all these people just are in oh my god who is this person and then they're trying to get to them there you know you got your security around you but yet the the crowds are pressing in closer and, and people are trying to take pictures and they're trying to do like you know selfies and all these things they're trying to get all these things going on and then maybe you get a few ones that got close they got there they got to the crowd first um and they're able to maybe shake the person's hand or even touch them or something like that and this crowd was no different, right? And and some of them probably were touching Jesus, um, but they felt nothing. And, and it's interesting, like why this woman's touch got his attention. And and one of the things that that's so key um, when it comes to our pursuit of Jesus is that we're not just part of a crowd pressing to get to him, but are we part of a crowd? intentionally touching him in faith and trust and confidence and when you notice the woman's words she wasn't even worried about actually physically touching him she said if i can just touch his robe i will be healed now that takes a whole lot of faith and confidence to say if i don't even i don't even need to touch him i just need to get close enough to the thing that's on him the thing that is representative of him and i will be healed and and jesus responds to the woman once she tells him uh, what she did It's so key and so powerful he says in verse 34 he says um, daughter your faith has made you well go in peace and be healed of your disease And, and literally there's 16 words there daughter your faith has made you well go in peace and be healed of your disease and and there's something there's four things there that we need to know when you think when you think about long suffering when you think about this kind of suffering the woman uh, was dealing with the first thing is he responds with the term of affection because when we meet her she's a it's, we meet the woman with the with the disease the woman with the bleed with the blood issue but we leave her as a daughter and he sign that daughter signifies a new relationship a new connection between them secondly he he acknowledges her faith and trust in him he says your faith made you well and, and again while her faith was expressed through an action It was her faith in Jesus, uh, in who Jesus is that healed her. And what we know about faith is there's faith does require a trust. There there has to be some level of trust that you have um, when it comes to faith, not 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 necessarily for the thing to be done. But in this situation, her faith, she again, faith, if I can just touch his garment, I'll be healed. That's a faith because there's a trust associated with that faith. And that's, again, he acknowledges that um, in her. And then third, you know, this time of this day and age, you know, th- men ruled and, and that was kind of where it was. And, you know, m- women were viewed as less stable and, and weaker than men. But even in this case, you, she she is, you know, kind of viewed as an outsider. She's, she's ill. And uh, We're going to get into that a little later. But again, Jesus in this moment overturns that belief he honors her just like he does with many other women in the bible and just as we should right and fourth he acknowledges her peace through this miracle because think about she's been suffering with this thing for 12 years and now all of a sudden she's healed and she can walk in that peace because her body is now whole she doesn't have to walk in pain or suffering And, and and what's true about that is that we understand that there's this you know, uh, long-suffering, we all go through in some way, shape, or form, right? It may not be an issue of blood, but it might be an issue of forgiveness. It might be an issue of anger. It might be an issue—it may be physical pain, right? Right? But but we have to hold on to the fact that our pressing into Jesus is not just for a closeness like the crowds, because when you go back to that picture of crowds, right? It's just I just got to get close to him. I just want to be close. I just want to be in that presence. But what they were doing and what she signifies um, in, in contrast to what they were doing is there's, there was a true pressing that she wanted to get to him for a specific purpose, for a specific reason, because of her faith and her trust in um, him, in Jesus, that he can overcome all things. And that includes long suffering and her issue that she'd been dealing with um, for a good part of her life, 12 years. And, and really, again, when we meet this woman, Jesus is on the way to another miracle. Um, and, and what we know is if you, you remember that You know, Jairus had come to Jesus pleading for his daughter and Jesus had agreed to go. Right. And we don't know how she got this illness, but it's a reminder, like unexpected tragedies, unexpected situations happen. Right. And this little girl is dying and her father in desperation went to seek out. The only hope they had left and that was Jesus. And we go back to even the scriptures we just read at the beginning uh, with the woman that now is our daughter. And it says when he got out the boat, um, this man, Jairus, by name, leader, one of the rulers of the synagogue, fell at Jesus's feet and implored him earnestly, saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well. And one thing we know is that when when this crowd and everything was going on, this man made this plea to Jesus. And he, again, being at the center of the city, he's a leader, he, he's there, he's waiting, he's, he, he's got that closeness to get that to that degree with Jesus where he can have this conversation. And, and there's something um, with his words that that stand out. And when you look at it again, he says, my little daughter is at the point of death and come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and and live um, and in these words there's three things that he made clear in his request to jesus i need you to come with me to her i need you to touch her lay your hands on her and that means your presence and your touch will heal her those this this order of things that's what i'm looking for you to do and jesus agrees and he goes with him to his home and we know Again, from our last point, there's this interruption that takes place. We don't know how long the woman's healing took, but we do know that there was this pause in this high priority situation of of Jairus's daughter, right? And and we don't know um, his reaction to this either, right? It is so interesting that in the moment of his probably greatest situation, biggest emergency, his daughter's dying and he finds the person who can heal and he says, okay, let's go do it. And then in the moment they're, they're on their way, they're, they're going there. And his excitement has got to be building, right? I mean, this, Jesus just said, okay, let's go. I get it. She, she's dying. You want me to go? You want me to heal? Let's do it. And then on their way there, there's an interruption. There's this pause and the person who, you know, as the healer stops. And then he investigates. And then there's this whole thing that halts what you want from him. And you don't really know what's going on at that moment. But you can imagine, like any of us, we want something in that moment. We want it so bad. But yet it's it's being halted right now. And, and just like Jarius, I'm sure there there's this there's this duality kind of fighting in his mind going on, on one hand, your anxiety just kicked up because your excitement went from anxiety, went from excitement to anxiety because you just stopped and you don't know why. And, and you're also like, oh my gosh, we, we got to go. She's dying. I literally told you, why are we stopping? What's wrong? And and so then, but also in front of you, you now know that, okay, this woman uh, just got healed. And on one side, that's like confirmation of what I know you can do. So there's an excitement in this and there's a faith being rolled up but your faith and anxiety are competing for attention at this moment because you're in all the miracle but you want to go be in all of your own miracle too, right? So this this scene could show could serve as this reinforcement of what Jairus already couldn't thought. He knew about Jesus because he's seeing it happening before his eyes. And so we get to this and and we remember verse 34 Jesus is telling the woman, daughter, you are healed, your faith, all of those things we mentioned earlier. And then the next, literally the next verse, verse 35 says, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house, someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? And, And I can imagine the pain, like if you think about the roller coaster that, He's on right now, he went, from an exci- he went from this frantic searching to the excitement in agreement, to the anxiety or something with the halt. And now he's dealing with the pain of loss. And here's this perspective, right? We have this woman, 12 years of misery and just received new life. And then we have a dad, a father, who's had this enjoyable life of his daughter for 12 years, only to lose her in the same moment. And and it seems like that delay was fatal. It seems like that pause, and and at least that had to have been a thought running through his mind. It may have been a thought in my mind, like, man, if we didn't stop, that she'd still be here. You know, we know that story before, right? We've heard that story. If you had only been here, or if we had only not stopped, right? What would have happened? And, And Jesus looks at him in the next verse, And he he overhears the report and it says, don't be afraid, just believe. And in these moments, like it can be difficult to navigate what we believe and what we think Jesus is. Like, think of where he is right now, this dad and the weight of what he's feeling. And to me, it really amplifies Psalm 23. And it says, though, I walk through the valley, which is a low place of the shadow, a dark place of death. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. We have a low place, a dark place and a lifeless place. And in the midst of those feelings, Jesus is just saying, just believe. But what th- what the just believe tells me is the rest of Psalm 23. I will have no fear for he is with me. Literally, Jesus is right there with him in the midst of his valley. He's physically standing right there and, and they reach the home where people are just crying and they're mourning his daughter. And Jesus asked them, why are you mourning? She's only sleeping. And in response, the people laugh at him. And, and there's this, there's this, you know, the question when you read commentaries, like what did Jesus mean by saying she was sleeping? And, and there's a lot of different ways you can look at that. But the short answer in summary is this, her condition, which was death, was not her final state. And, and Jesus uh, he had everyone leave the house except her parents and his disciples. And he takes the little girl by his hand, by her hand, and he says these words, and I'm prayerfully going to say these right. He says, Talitha Combe, Talitha Combe, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. The next verse says, immediately, the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And I want you to pay attention. Hold on to this piece, right? It says, we know Jesus came to the house, he touched the girl by hand, and she was healed. Now, we know when we look at the miracles of Jesus, he does them in different ways. We just saw he didn't even do anything in the other one that the lady just touched his robe and she was healed. But there's something about the order and the words that we read because what the father asked him to do, he did. I need you to come with me. I need you to touch her. I need you to heal her. Jesus came. He touched. He healed. And I love Revelation 118. It says, I am the living one. I was dead and now look. I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. This doesn't mean that death isn't active. We see And experience death every day in this world. We see that. But the key to remember, and it's something I'll be quite honest and transparent with, I'm having to constantly remind myself because I I was sharing this with a friend. 2020 was just the utmost reminder of death in your face. And the key to remember is death is, is active, but it's not final and it will be defeated as well. And the resurrection of Jesus assures us of that. This story assures us of that. This miracle affirms that for us. And I love 1 Corinthians 15, uh, chapter 15, verse twenty to 22. It says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ, all will be made alive and it's so interesting like these two miracles how how intertwined they are they're literally they they play out together almost right and jesus is on the way to one and the other one happens you know we never learn the names of these women um or or the daughter right or the woman or the daughter but one thing's clear they represent two very different areas of society right we have this woman who, who seems to be an outcast of the city? You think back to the demon possessed man we talked about last week and he was outcast for his condition. I would imagine she was the same way. I would imagine she would have been, you know, put away from the city or anything like that because of her condition. Like, like the man uh, would be, he was somebody for outside looking in, right? Um, think about the crowds around Jesus. She had to go, she had to get around the crowds. She was on the outside of the crowd, right? Then we have the daughter father, her father's a faith leader in the community. He leader in the synagogue, which means they're at the center of everything. And what that showed me is we have two, two areas. We have the center and the edge. We have the outermost and the outermost and the most connected. And yet both need Jesus in their moments, you know, and that's who Jesus is. Like he's connected to both. And when I think about Jesus trying to define him or even when we try to figure that out right what's our first place we tend to look right it may be church that's initially what we where our connection to jesus may begin and it seems like a logical place to go but one thing that we know that should be true is the church should be established on the teachings of and leadership of jesus the things we're reading in the bible those things should be woven through in and out of the church but when we dig into religion and and we start to really understand different views they have about Jesus, they greatly differ, right? Not all believe he was the son of God and man. Not all believe he will come again and rule on earth. Not all believe that he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. How that ties into these people on the edge and people in the center is religion tends to define who belongs where. You think about the Jewish leaders of this community decided that this woman, should be on the edge because of her illness. But yet this child who became ill because of her standing in the community didn't have to be on the edge. But the truth of the matter is when we start to unravel who Jesus is, we find that his reach includes the center and the edge. It's not up to institutions or pastors or people or even me to tell you who should and should not have Jesus right? Those things and people should serve as a guide, but those guides should have a book and a playbook that is the Bible. And and what we know the Bible says is it tells us that Jesus is the the center. He's for the center and he's for the edge, right? Jews and Gentiles. We talked about that. And you think about the people in the crowd around Jesus trying to get to him and feeling nothing. But this woman who they casted out and wanted nothing to do with, get something from him far better. She proved to be closer to him than anyone, but yet she was the furthest away. And, and he proved that and reaffirms that through calling her his daughter, right? He, his children exist on the edge and in the center. And we know this woman uh, and, and what she knew and what we learned from her is, if I could just get close enough, we have to have that same mentality no matter where we are. And when I think about, as I close out this message, when I think about where I am or where you are, um, it doesn't matter because Jesus will meet you exactly right there. And you might feel like you're on the edge and you might feel like you're in the center or for some people. And sometimes you may not know where you are, but one thing is for sure. Jesus knows where you are. He's ready to meet you there. And like I say, every week, this series and going forward, we're going to pray. We're going to do a salvation prayer because it's a critical thing to get connected with Jesus and really understand and know who he is. And I just want you to repeat after me. And I just simply say this. Hey, God, it's me. You see where I am and I need you. You see where I am and where I hurt and I need you. I know you love me. I know you sent your son Jesus to die for me. And I know I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes. And I know and I believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe his death was for me. I believe he raised from the dead for me. And I believe he is in heaven. And I'm ready to get to know him. I'm ready to be deeper in relationship with him. Amen. And if you pray that prayer, I'm telling you, you best decision of your life. I'm telling you, best one. And this journey you're about to take, it's going to change your life. Not easy. I said it last week. It's not an easy journey, but it's not a difficult one. But if you stay consistent, take it a little bit each day, a little bit each week, a little bit each month. It doesn't make you perfect. But what it begins to do is it sets you on this intentional day by day, step by step journey in the best relationship you'll ever have. And I want to help you again. I'm going to throw it out there. Email us. This is vantagepoint at gmail.com. Let me know. I want to send you resources. I want to help. I want to help you in this walk. Stay with us in this series. I'm telling you, we got a few more weeks left leading up to Easter. It's going to be awesome. I want you to come back next week. We're going to dig into miracles a little bit more. And then we're going to talk a little bit about what's coming up for Easter and vantage point. Thank you all so much for rolling with us. Have a great week.